The communication theorist Marshall McLuhan famously coined the phrase, the medium is the message. So if we change the medium of the Bible, the way that it's physically presented, what does that do to how we perceive its message? This is the Bible Reset Podcast brought to you by the Institute for Bible Reading. Paul Caminiti and Glenn Powell. In our latest episode with Dr. Chris Smith, we talked about the thinking and the philosophy behind readers' Bibles, this new category of Bibles that takes away all the modern additives and instead displays the Bible's natural literature. Today, we're going to discuss what that means for how we actually interact with the text. If reference Bibles lead us into a certain way of engaging with Scripture, one that's often characterized by information and speed, what do readers' Bibles encourage? And I think that we should begin by recognizing that the term reader's Bible means different things to different publishers. And there's actually kind of a spectrum of formatting changes that are present in different reader's Bibles that are out on the market. So when it's interesting, Alex and Paul, when you pick up a reader's Bible, you might notice that they're not all actually the same. There's kind of a range of things that they will do. And single column type, taking out the chapters and verses and kind of the other modern references that have all been added, that's kind of the basis for a reader's Bible. And we have to say, immediately, the ball is down the road, right? I mean, it's like, you've just made a much better reading experience by having that. But it's also important to say that not all reader's Bibles are created equal. There are other features that some reader's Bibles have and others don't, in terms of the natural literary structures, putting original books back together, finding the right order, order that makes sense for readers. Like I said, any reader's Bible is better than a modern reference Bible for reading. But there are other features, and we'll talk about those today, which are even more helpful. That's good, Glenn. But let's uh, let's start with the, uh, the common denominator that you mentioned, that all reader's Bibles start with having single columns. That's certainly a publishing issue. As an ex-publisher, I know that one-column Bibles were more expensive to produce. There are fewer words that fit on the page. You have more paper, therefore more expense. But let's talk about the benefits of a single column. Is it just cosmetic? Is it just like, oh, it's easier on the eyes? Or are there you know, some more substantive ramifications that come into play with a single column? If you open a modern reference Bible, two-column Bible, one thing you'll notice right away is everything looks the same. Yep. Poetry, prose, letters, proverbs, prophecy, what doesn't matter. Everything looks the same because it's just two columns of text with these numbers down the page. And so you can't really see what the different kinds of books are. So the immediate benefit to... Mm a reader's Bible, which is in a single column, is that right away you can see, oh, this is poetry. And your brain immediately switches gears and says, now I'm reading something poetic. It's emotional. It's metaphors. And now I'm reading something that looks like a letter. I can see it right off the bat because across the top of the page, you can see who it's addressed to, who it's from. It looks like a letter or it looks like a story or it looks like a prophecy. You can see the kind of book it is right away. So like within a nanosecond with a reader's Bible, you're immediately on a better 
footing to understand what it is you're reading. So let's take a particular example, um, a major chunk of the Bible. It's amazing, really, how much of the Bible is written in the poetic form. And if you can't see the poetry well, then you're immediately on a, doing, um, it's a harder job to try to figure out how the poetry is working. And especially in the First Testament, right, all the song books, Psalms, Song of Songs, Lamentations, the prophecy books, this is all poetic material. It's written in poetry. So the way Hebrew poetry works is especially helped by a single column setting. So Hebrew poetry is written with two lines that typically work together, sometimes three, but almost always two. And the first line makes a statement. The second line will do a whole variety of things. It will talk back to the first line. It will reinforce it with other language. Uh, sometimes it makes it stronger. Sometimes it adds a question. So there's a whole bunch of things that go on, and it helps so much to see the full line of the Hebrew poetry across the page. The problem with a two-column page is the column isn't wide enough to let you fit the whole line in, so therefore they have to indent it. And then when you have to indent again for the second line, you don't want it to match the first indent with just a runover line, so you indent it at a different distance. So now you've got indents happening all down the page. Some are for second lines of poetry, some are for runover lines that are too long, and sometimes a single line has to run over two or three times. So you have all these levels of indents. And the net effect is you look at poetry in a two-column Bible, it's just a mess of indents. Nobody <laughs> is going to sit there and try to figure out which indent is this. Is this the second line of Hebrew poetry? They don't know that. But when you look at a reader's Bible, you can immediately, without even having to think about it or know anything about Hebrew poetry, you can see that there are two lines working together and you read them together. So it's a lot of this design with the Bible stuff is just intuitive stuff that comes to you naturally and immediately. You don't even have to work at it. And the two column Bible just messes that all up. Yeah. Yeah. And we won't even talk about three column Bibles, which yeah, we've don't, all seen don't even go there. Right? Shudder to think about, uh, you know, what it looks like there. I'm by the way, I'm, I'm going to yeah. go there later on in the podcast. I'm going to go to the three-column Bible. Yeah, and I think even, you know, even outside of Hebrew poetry, um, for me at least, I, I used to find it kind of exhausting how often my eyes would have to drop down to a new line, um, even if I'm reading narrative uh, or prose or whatever. And there's there's a whole bunch of kind of reading science and science of how the eyes and brain work together, line length, font size, all this different stuff that, uh, that we want to get into here. But, um, yeah, I, I always found that a little bit difficult too. just reading even prose with, with two column going, going back to the, the whole, you know, poetry genre, which Glenn, I think you mentioned the first Testament is what something like two thirds of the first Testament. Yeah, right. It's huge is, is poetry. And, and, almost the entirety of the prophets that's the the vehicle for communication is is poetry yep so this is this is not just you know technical jargon and i have to say that here late in my life after you know years of preaching the bible reading the bible studying the bible it's just now uh, that i'm beginning to really love the prophets for example 
Mm. The uh, the poetry and the metaphors are truly stunning. I mean, it compares with any any modern poetry in terms of its uh, its impact and its its depth. Yeah. But uh, I, I one of the reasons I think I've missed it for for so long is because of that format. I think that uh, I just didn't see it as clearly, and it didn't register with me, and it and it is now. So again, these are not just you know technical, you know, Bible geeky type things. These have real right. life ramifications. Yeah, it really does. And we're not going to get into the details today, but we'll we'll talk about it more in an upcoming episode. But it really is true that different kinds of writing communicate differently. So poetry is not meant to just give you the facts. It's meant to move you. Yeah. So if you don't read poetry as poetry, you're not open to being moved emotionally, which means you're not connecting with that truth in the same way. As Kevin Van Hooser says, it's not just a book of lists of propositions to give you just straight facts. Different parts of the Bible communicate differently, and that'll be a fun thing to explore in the future. Yeah, and, and I'm a super visual person, so I, I think this example that we've given of kind of the crazy mess of indentation is easier to maybe see visual visually. So I'll put a, a kind of compare and contrast picture into the show notes so so our listeners can kind of see what we're talking about there. So this is getting into the nitty gritty of, of publishing and, and typesetting and stuff a little bit. But I think what we're saying here is that there are always kind of trade-offs, right, with uh, elements of Bible design that are made for readability, like single column, uh, thickness of the paper so that the next page doesn't bleed through, uh, font size, all that sort of thing, things, and the physical size of the Bible, right? So if you, uh, if you maximize all of the elements that lead to maximum readability, you can get a really thick Bible that's kind of unwieldy really quickly. So with Immerse, obviously our prioritization was as much as possible, make it as readable as possible. And we knew that this this probably couldn't fit in a one volume Bible as is. And so it actually gave us the perfect excuse to publish Immerse in six volumes. So Glenn, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, it's really fun because actually this is kind of an ancient future thing because the Bible originally, I mean, you think about it, it's a collection of scrolls in a basket or a box in a synagogue, right? It wasn't a complete book. That book form wasn't even invented yet. It came later. So the Bible is a collection of books that are put together in a set. But you're, you clearly knew originally that this was a scroll and it was a particular book of the Bible. So now we're going back to um, a form that is closer to what the Bible first was. And by, by going back to a Bible that's in multiple volumes, immediately the intimidation factor goes way down. I was at a collection at a meeting of um, Christian booksellers um, quite a few years ago, and someone had done a technical study of reactions to people trying to read the Bible. And one of the first things they reported was that people's stress levels increased just by opening a typical modern reference study Bible. There was so much information, and it was so thick, so much loaded with words that it felt undoable as soon as they opened it. It sounded like, I mean, it just looks like you're in over your head when you open a full single, you know, single volume Bible in two columns. It's like opening a massive dictionary and just saying, yeah, now try to read this. <laughs> so by doing six volumes, we're able to make the whole Bible much more manageable. 
So people feel good about opening a book that looks like it's readable. It's it's single column. It's nice size type. It's got all the readability factors built right into it. And it's not the whole thing in one volume. So you you read with a group, you finish a volume, and immediately you have a win. You feel like you've just read through a major part of the Bible with other people, and it's it's a winning experience. And then the other thing that a, a six-volume Bible does, it lets you arrange books in a way, that, again, that is makes more sense for readers. And it's one of the liberations that comes from studying the history of the Bible. You actually get to know that the Bible wasn't always in the same book groupings, book order. So you can do things with the Bible that has been done before that might be something that helps readers understand parts of the Bible better. So rather than putting prophets, for instance, in big books and little books, major and minor, why not do them in chronological order so it follows the history? So you can yep. actually see what was happening. So you have a whole new world opening up to you to put the books together in a way that just helps readers make sense of the Bible. It's just we have the freedom to do it the way we want to for the maximum benefit. Yeah, I love the idea, Glenn, that, uh, and I've heard you say this before, that people oftentimes think of the Bible as like a flat book or a flat piece of, of literature. Mm. And, you know, having having the six volumes then really helps them see this is really an anthology, right? This is a collection of writers. It's, I think the Bible Project guys say it, it is a single story, you know, ultimately pointing to Jesus. But the story comes at it from all kinds of, of different angles. And then just quickly, I'll just say there's something really special that happens in the New Testament. You know, we have four portraits of Jesus in the four Gospels. Most Bibles will just smush them together, which is a technical term in Bible <laughs> publishing, smushing. So they put them all together. And if you're trying to read through the New Testament and you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John, you're starting to say, yeah, I'm reading the same thing over and over again. It's just all muddled together. So what if you separated each of those portraits of Jesus, put them with the books that naturally go with that gospel? There are books of the rest of the New Testament that fit under each of those categories. So you actually have a new fourfold gospel kind of with the books of the New Testament separated into the right point of view, John's point of view, you know, the, the Jewish point of view with Matthew, and you read those books together, you can do a whole new order, and it's a completely fresh and eye-opening experience of Jesus through the lens of each of the unique gospel writers. Again, huge benefit for readers. So, Alex, you mentioned... Uh, at the beginning, the famous phrase, the medium is the message. I think another way of saying that is that the forms and the content are inextricably linked. Can we unpack that a little bit? I think sometimes if you picture the Bible as just a book of content, it doesn't really matter how it's presented. It's as long as it has the right words in there somehow, right? We're going to get it. And the form is irrelevant. But actually, if you believe in God as creator and the creation matters, then I think God intended the world for form and content to work together. So when you look at the form of something, it should help in the communication of the content. 
This is what Marshall McLuhan was getting at, that when you change the medium, you really are messing with the message. And when you when you make sure that the form is working with the content so that they're together sending signals to your brain that reinforce each other, that just strengthens the communication overall in a really big way. And that's what thoughtful Bible design can do for the content of the Bible. Seeing poetry, seeing letters, collecting books the right way, designing the page well, all of that form helps strengthen your understanding of the content. So yeah, it's a huge point and something I think Bible publishers just don't think about enough. Yeah. I, I was actually a few weeks ago reading the book On Reading Well by Karen Swallow Pryor, and I wrote down a quote from it that I'll just read out here. She says, the content of a literary work is what it says. Its form is how it is said. Unfortunately, we're conditioned today to focus on content at the expense of form. Part of this tendency is the fruit of a culture influenced by a utilitarian emphasis on function and practical use at the expense of beauty and structure. Reading virtuously requires us to pay attention to both form and content, because literature is by definition an aesthetic experience, not merely an intellectual one. We have to attend to form at least as much as to content, if not more. Form matters. I just love that. That's beautiful. That is so well said, and it gets right at what a, a reader's Bible like Immerse is working toward. Yep. Yeah, there's actually a story in modern publishing lore that um, makes that point. And Glenn, you'll remember this back in the early 2000s, I think it was about 2005. An ambitious publisher uh, had a project to publish millions of Bibles and sell them for a buck a piece. So the whole idea was that mm. now millions of people would would have Bibles, regardless of the fact that the average American already owns 4.5 Bibles, but that didn't seem to register with them. But what they came across was, or what they developed was a Bible that had across the spread six columns, not four, tiny uh, font. The The paper was, was very inferior. In fact, every once in a while, you'd find one where there would actually still be a little bit of a wood chip. In, in the paper, oh my gosh. It, it didn't get get properly properly ground, and all the you know the words would go down into the gutter. You had to bend it bend it open. And I still remember when the project was launched, there were people that were singing its praises, and I was appalled. And I thought to myself, you know, trashy paperback novels look better than this. And yeah. in the very form that Karen Fryer uh, Swallows was talking about. Yeah, it you know it, it besmirched and it cheapened the mm. the, the message and, and the Bible's content. So we've made some major changes, obviously, to the Bible's format with Immerse. And what are some of the kind of fundamental, practical changes uh, and shifts that we're seeing in in how people end up interacting with the text? Yeah, you know we're the we're called the Institute for Bible Reading. So we've staked our our ground on the fact that. The Bible was created to be read, and we've made study the number one thing to do with the Bible, and we actually think that that's reversed, that yeah. the right order of things is to read first. I think that's what the authors of the Bible itself would have wanted from us. Read first. That's what any author expects from their audience, is that you will read their entire work. And then if you want to go back and do study, great. 
but then you've already you're already doing your study in the context of having read the whole thing. So reading is the first and most natural thing to do with the Bible. And then study can be really great, but it's in the context of knowing the whole work, understanding what the storyline is, if it's narrative, what the poem is or the song lyric is, what the whole thing is headed toward, where the letter, what the impact of the letter is. Study comes second. And we just don't talk about Bible reading enough in our Christian culture. We need to be talking about Bible reading. It's the lost art that's been, uh, is ripe, I think, for being rediscovered. I think I agree. And I think usually it's flipped. And I saw a perfect example of that. Somebody posted something on Facebook recently where their family is, was reading Messiah together and talking about the joy of having finished the whole New Testament in eight weeks. And somebody, you know, added a little comment and said, oh, yes, but don't forget the highest you know, form of engagement with the Bible is study. And so, you know, really saying basically to this person, you're, you're you know, you're, you're just it, it, what you're doing is 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 kind of flimsy. And if you're really serious about the Bible, then then you're going to study it. And, you know, a lot of that perception comes from a single statement in the Bible from, you know, the original King James Version. <laughs> study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And I know that because I was in a yeah. lockup. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and so that's where we where where we all started. But this whole this whole notion that study is something very much other than reading. And there's there's a lot of, I think, uh exploration that needs to be done, even when we think about what do we mean by study. And you know, the, the importance of this is that there are practical ramifications for it. There are people that are not study oriented. Uh, they never liked school or they never liked the way they learned in their pedagogical system. And so they're invited to come to a Bible study. Everything is a study, 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 study. And the, the whole concept of just reading, reading is study. And mm -hmm. um, so I think we need we need to return to that. I've always thought of Bible study as like you come to the text with an agenda of maybe extraction. So so you read a chapter, maybe you read two chapters, you extract information, you extract theology and knowledge, and then you apply it like you have you come to the text kind of ready to have this specific set of things that you're going to take away from it. Right. And I feel like with reading, if you if you just sit down to read and absorb an entire work on its own terms with no agenda, um, that's kind of a different thing, right? Like you're, you're just kind of submitting yourself to the agenda, uh, the agenda of the authors and reading through the entire work with the knowledge that you can come back and maybe have that more study minded agenda later, but with the, the groundwork laid, I guess, of having just read and just kind of submitted yourself to it and, and see uh, what it has for you, I guess. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I think totally. And, and it reminds me of what C.S. Lewis said. He said, the obligation of a reader to any work of literature, not just the Bible, is to receive yeah. what the author wrote, not to use it. You dishonor yeah. the author if you go in with an agenda to use it for your own ends to begin with. Yeah. Now, maybe after you've received it, you want to do something else with it and learn in detail or in depth in a particular way, do a word study, 
But your first obligation is just to receive what they've written. And that means sitting back and just letting it wash over you. And yeah. I think we, we do. And I think your language is very interesting, Paul, about getting clutched up um, about this you know, charge of not taking seriously the study of the Bible. Actually, it's when we study that we kind of get tense and clutched up about, I have to find something there. And extraction is a good word too, Alex. And I think we've lost the joy of experiencing the Bible because we think it's wrong or weak or insubstantial to just read it. But that's what it was meant for. There's a lot of there's a lot of fun that happens in the Bible. There's humor in the Bible. And if you're studying, right, you're just all like an academic exercise. And if you just receive it, it's like, can you imagine Paul writing a letter to a church and and somebody standing up to say, yep, today we're going to look at Colossians 1 verses 1 through 5, and then come back next week and we'll we'll read some more. You know, and we're going to just unpack this opening. It was a letter to a church. They read the letter. They received it as a letter. And that's what we have to get back to with the Bible is back to our first principles. And that is what did what was the Bible when it was originally made and how was it received and experienced? That's the way to Bible renewal is to get back to that kind of an experience. I love that. So, so, and I think one of the other benefits that we've talked about internally, at least, is changing the perception of the Bible as a whole collection of verses into actually a a library of books. Yeah. And again, the modern reference Bible immediately tells you it's just numbered statements or propositions on a page. So the Bible must be a collection of those true divine spiritual statements. And that's completely what the Bible is not. The Bible is a collection of whole books. Editors and authors crafted, intentionally crafted whole books to be their contribution to the sacred word of God. And that's what we need to see the Bible as. And if we switch from verses to books as the primary unit of the Bible, then I think we're in a position, we haven't talked about this yet today, we're in a position to understand how the books work together to tell the single beautiful story of God's salvation breaking into the world. When you're when you're reading a collection of verses, you tend to see the Bible as a piecemeal collection of bits of divine instruction. When you read whole books and you see how they fit together, then you're introduced to the narrative, the the wonderful narrative of the Bible that takes you to surprising places and then to the revelation of Jesus and you see how all of it fits together. So what's at stake, right? If if readers readers Bibles are just kind of a flash in the pan, they go away, get overwhelmed by the uh, the momentum that reference Bibles have at this point. Then then what do we lose? Or to put it another way, if they're here to stay, and this way of interacting with the text becomes normalized and gains steam, uh, what do we gain? What do you guys think? The reports that we're hearing almost universally is people saying serendipitously, I'm reading longer. Hmm. Uh, There wasn't this artificial chapter break, this speed bump in the road that told me to slow down or close, close my Bible. And I think that's a, that's a huge benefit. Uh, We uh, were able to be in a prison here not too long ago. And, uh, a prisoner said, I read lots of books and I judge the quality of a book by how long the story stays with me once I close the cover. And he said, for the first time now, reading the Bible in the immersed format, 
I'm closing the Bible and the story is staying with me. And we have to understand, number one, it's a long history and the reference Bible is firmly established in place. But it also has to be said, it's not working. It's not working for people. People are not loving engaging with these reference Bibles. Um, they try to put a good face on it sometimes and, and say it's it's a good experience. But the fact is, the ref, the research tells us the story, and that is people are walking away from the Bible. So I say there's nothing to lose by going back to this more authentic form and the earlier practices, because what's at stake is finding joy again in the Bible, finding understanding, um, knowing why God gave it to us in the first place. What are we supposed to get out of the Bible? There's a whole new world of Bible experience ready to be um, discovered by people. And I think they're ready for it because they're tired of this Bible and the old ways of referencing and working with it simply don't capture their imaginations. It doesn't. So, so there's nothing to lose. And I think everything to gain by rediscovering the Bible in its, on its own terms. And that's what a reader's Bible gives you. Yep. I think we've said before that uh, a person can be a learner and not automatically become a lover of something. Hmm. But if you become a lover of whatever field it is that you're, you're studying or investigating, you will become a learner. So it yeah. seems that one of our, our tasks, if you will, one of our objectives should be, again, to help people learn to fall in love with the Bible again. And in the process, learning will will happen somewhat automatically. All right. Well, that's going to do it for our show today. We've spent a few episodes on here focused uh, solely on the physical format of the Bible because we really think that having a good readable form of the Bible that displays the natural literature is almost as important as having a good readable translation. And just a reminder that if you don't have a reader's Bible yet, you can pick up one volume or all six volumes of our Immerse Bible at ImmerseBible.com. And now we're going to be moving on. In the next few episodes, we're going to be talking about other critical aspects of what it means to read the Bible well. And we're really excited to dive into each one of those with you guys. If you find this content helpful, we'd love it if you shared it with your friends or rate and review on your podcast provider. You can find shareable links to every one of our episodes at thebiblereset.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you on the next one.